Faithful Trinity Disclaimer The opinions, views and beliefs expressed are those of our guest speakers and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Mindful Trinity or the policies of the company thereof. The content of the show does not constitute any legal or medical advice and is provided for the general insight and guidance. If you require specific legal, medical or any professional advice, you should contact a specialist or a qualified practitioner. Please note, Mindful Trinity is a non-religious, non-sectarian organization and we are not affiliated to any religious organization. Welcome back to Mindful Trinity viewers. So today we actually joined by a very special guest. He's a spiritual leader, a spiritual activist, a teacher, and a practitioner of Bhakti Yoga. His name is Ratin Krishna Das. He's formerly from Durban in, uh, in South Africa. In fact, my hometown in Durban. And now is actually in India. So we're going to be discussing the next dimension, a holistic perspective of, of reality. So welcome to Ratin Krishna Das. We are so grateful that you're here to share all of your insights and your knowledge with all of us. Hi, Vaishnavi Charan. You tell us more about Ratin Krishna Das and what led you uh, on the spot of being a monk, firstly, and also to share ancient wisdom. Yes, well, I also ask myself that question, who is Ratin Krishna Das? <laughs> Still trying to find the answer. Um, well, you know, there's a few honorifics that uh, I have that uh, uh, people have been kind enough to bestow, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, but I think the personality and the person of who I am is uh, summed up in probably the calling myself a seeker. Uh, somebody who's trying to uh, work with myself, trying to understand myself, uh, trying to work with philosophy and knowledge, trying to assimilate. Um, And I've found that the um, path that to traverse that is not so easy. It's never been easy, uh, especially energy work and working from the inside, trying to understand oneself from that level uh, is always going to be a little more challenging. Um, I think the easier identity of uh, uh, recognizing oneself externally, that's not so challenging. It may be sometimes, (laughs) but uh, I think trying to understand oneself from the inside that takes a little bit more effort, uh, a little more energy. And um, I think that's why I've gone down the path of uh, understanding this life in the best that I can. Uh, I've always been that kind of a person who's uh, questioned myself and questioned reality, questioned the outside world, Unfortunately, I couldn't get much answers on my own because much of it didn't make sense in the way it looked and the way in the logic of it. And uh, until I found uh, the yoga philosophy that I currently subscribe to, and it comes from the Vedic tradition, and it's given me a sense of uh, understanding, a sense of experiencing more than understanding. So thank you so much for that. That was absolutely amazing um, to find out who you really are. Also, I know you actually been studying ancient wisdom and you're also spreading this. You're sharing it with like-minded people across the world, in fact. Why would you say ancient wisdom is relevant in this day and age, this modern age? That's a very good question, question, uh, Vaishnavi Charan. You know, when I asked myself that question, uh, one of the comforting answers that I resonated with is that 
uh, humanity has kept ancient wisdom together for thousands of years. So surely it has value beyond the spectrum of time. Uh, the experience of time is limited to the experience of space. So time and space resonate because they give us a physical experience. But we know we also have a mental experience of life and we usually live within that, our ambitions and hopes for something in the future and our regrets and fears for something in the past. So we can also live within that, which is not so uh, positive, it's not so encouraging, but it's a fact that we can live within that. But what ancient wisdom does is gives us the essence of what it means to be humane, what it means to be a human being and to experience and expound that sense of being. We, we, we have a sense of being, but in the bodies that we are now, the beingness is of human full trend that has stimulated people on all different levels because the nature of the exercise um, combines the body and the mind together. So you, when you have a synergy or a synthesis of body-mind, then it's very easy to connect uh, the um, soul level of the self to that. What happens in the secular world is that we have an experience of the body and the mind is something we have to bring along. Mm. The mind is something we have to always be tuning into. And when it's disconnected from the experience of the body. What these ancient wisdoms tell us is a sense of coherence. Why did you take up uh, an interest in understanding energies of the human body? And how will that understanding help us in our lifestyle today? Yes, wonderful question. I think uh, you can appreciate that the lifestyle of a monk is uh, a highly focused lifestyle where energy is highly focused in a particular direction. If your energies are not focused and they are multi-branched, then naturally you're dispersing energy and energy is a finite resource. You know, we don't have unlimited levels of energy, right? I'm sure at the end of the day, that's why as a symptom of fatigue, as a symptom of uh, engagement, we're feeling uh, exhausted, we're feeling depressed. So yeah, that was the study done by Dr. Masaru Emoto where he showed the, uh, how the study of water was so remarkable and so connected, so coherent to the physical nature of the human being. And that was remarkable for me at that time because you must remember in the early 20s, it's not so cosmopolitan. It's not more, the ethos was different then. Then it was more like taboo to be, uh, you know, reading and researching about uh, metaphysical activities and metaphysical stuff. So, but today the, the, the science behind it is really overwhelming because what started off as Newtonian physics uh, and, and the, the classical way of understanding the world has now developed into a science of quantum mechanics. Have you heard of this uh, system of knowledge? No. Quantum mechanics? But I'm always okay. really eager to learn. <laughs> okay. So it, it explains, it in, in theory, it's fairly simple. Mm -hmm. It's that Newtonian physics explains the nature of the world on a physical level using the senses, naturally. Uh, but quantum is the microscopic level. So the macro level is Newtonian physics and the micro level or even smaller than that, the nano level is where the laws of quantum mechanics and the field and the system of quantum mechanics reside. And when you study th that um, system of knowledge at that level, then it seems to explain the world in a very different way and uh, a, ver a way that 
uh, doesn't cancel out probabilities. Probabilities means that the, the possibility or the potential for variegatedness is much more than in the Newton, Newtonian physics because Newtonian physics means you assess with your senses and you get an outcome and that must be repeatable. It's empiric. And for it to be repeatable, it must mean that everybody sees it the same way, right? <laughs> so once we get that concept down, we've been studying the world for eternity in that way. But this new um, epistemology, uh, level of study of knowledge, is explaining that uh, when one observes the world, then you have a finite way of receiving information back. But when one is in a different state, in a wave state, mm -hmm. so this was done as an experiment. What was done was called the double split uh, experiment, where they try to, in a very basic way, they try to uh, shoot through electrons mm -hmm. through two slits in a screen. Okay. And as they continue to do that, then naturally somebody has to be observing this, right? So that's the scientist. Yes. So they noted that when the scientist observed the electron going through the double split, mm -hmm. then it only went through one gap, either the left side or the right side. Okay. But when the scientist did not observe and the camera was just rolling, then something very amazing happened. It, the, the electron actually went through both slits, kind of like spooky, uh, as Einstein would call it, yeah. uh, spooky action at a distance. Huh? <laughs> so it's how is that possible that something physical can go through two uh, slits at the same time? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense. In the level or in the study from the um, Newtonian physics, it doesn't make sense because you can only go through one avenue at a time. Mm -hmm. But in terms of quantum mechanics, there is probability. And in that probability, that means the electron can choose or can be in any place at any one time. And as soon as the person observes where it is or in a direction, it manifests there. Okay. general state. So it's it's not in any specific field or mm -hmm. circumstance okay. it's in a general experience that wow. in the quantum state if the person is not observing then it gives you variables and when you do observe it only gives you one distinct outcome mm -hmm. so when dr emoto assessed water mm -hmm. we know water as what it's something that we drink h2o two mm -hmm. hydrogen one oxygen and the combination of that two gases gives water. Yeah. And it's a soluble, it's something, it's liquid state, and we drink to quench thirst. So it's a physical substance. Mm -hmm. So when you observe it, it's only one dimensional, it's physical. Yeah. But when Dr. Emoto studied it uh, in using different uh, systems of quantum mechanics, then he realized that there's other dimensions of water, like memory. He proved that water has memory, where they would put a, a bouquet of flowers into a vase. I'm sure we've done that many times. And when you remove the bouquet, the structure of the stems that were in the water, you can photograph that with a specific camera. And it gives you the shape of the bouquet that was in the water. So that shows the water molecules was, was retaining the shape of the bouquet of flowers, even when it was out of the box. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know what? I actually was, um, I was actually so like taken aback. My, my mind actually was like in awe when yeah. you mentioned about um, how the water basically, how it has memory. Yeah, the, 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 the book that Dr. Emoto wrote is called The Message of Water. You can read about it. I think I sent you some links on that. You can put it up for the listeners okay. as well. As a okay. So that study you're talking about is when he put rice into three different beakers of water. And to one beaker of, of rice in with water, he said, thank you very much. And uh, he said, sweet 
loving words to that. And the next beaker of water, he said uh, 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 negative words to that. And the third beaker of water with the rice, he ignored. And he did that for every day for, I think, up to three months. And gradually, what we found was that the rice that was in the water with the pleasant words, the, it became fragrant, it became clear, there was no rotting. It was actually very fragrant, wonderful. The rice that he spoke negatively became greenish, blackish, it decomposed. It actually started to rot. And the rice that it ignored was completely black. So he gathered from this that there is a transmission between human humanness or feelings in the sense of feeling an emotion and projecting an emotion to water. And there's a correlation between that. There's a coherence. And this proved, I think why this is so significant is because the human body is made up of 70 to 80% water. And if that is so, and water is responding in this way to human emotion, then what are we transmitting from one human being to another? That became very profound. Yeah. And he's done many other studies with the, uh, music and the effect of music onto water. And he's even done study of names of people because people carry a certain frequency, a certain energy. Yes. And uh, so naturally, if and if the bodies and if human beings or the human body is 70 to 80, 80 to 70 to 80% water, then by a certain transmission of feeling, of emotion, you can actually change the state of the other person. It's so important. Now, isn't that phenomenal? Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And also, it's, I think with me, because I'm actually all about self-love, self-care. And when you actually care about yourself and you love yourself, that's how you can also love another and give care to other people as well. So by you right. actually mentioning all of these uh, different studies, yeah, with regards to uh, the body being, you know, with so much of water within us. So in order to actually only think about the next, you also, also, you also need to think about yourself. And you have to be conscious, being aware, and offering those kind words to yourself because sometimes unknowingly we also so horrible to ourselves and that is why we also we give out the same sort of emotion when we it's like we're not aligned with our real self our true self coming unconscious and uh, that leads me to the second study that i wanted to mention okay. is a study done by dr joe despera I've, I've even sent a link on that you can also put that up and he's uh, affiliated with a, an institute for Heart Math Institute, mm -hmm. where they connect uh, and they study the coherence between the heart and the brain. Wow. So if you remember at the beginning of the talk, I mentioned the correlation between uh, motivation, thinking about something from the level of the mind mm -hmm. and uh, feeling something from the level of the heart, how to connect the two. So when you, uh, what you are talking about is very relevant to the modern world because the levels of stress, the levels of uh, tension that one goes through and one has to deal with on a mental level is remarkable. Therefore, as in the monastery, we have a practice where because we joke that the stress can't go anymore up, right? At the top of the head is the crown. So it can't go anymore. It has to then make a U-turn and come back down. You see, so the, the more stress you build up as it uh, grows and escalates right up to the top of the head, there's no way to go out of the body through the top. So then it U-turns and comes back down. And the first major organ that is connected to, to a sensory level is the heart. So what this, uh, what jo Dr. Joe was describing 
is that in the, in the heart tissue, the cardiac tissue of the heart, there's 40,000 neurons. And we know where neurons found. They're found in the brain. So we, we only know of neurons in the brain, but there's 40,000 neurons found in the heart. That means then there's a intuitive correlation or coherence mm -hmm. between the heart and the brain that modern science has not connected yet. But quantum mechanics does account for this. It does in the field of quantum healing, it does account for understanding the coherence between the heart and the brain. Because the brain is the execution center, but the heart is the center where feeling is generated. So although you're feeling, although you're experiencing depression, but you're feeling the depression in the heart. When you feel fear, you feel it, the palpitation of the heart. Yeah. So in, 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 in trying to study these uh, deeper, stronger emotions like mm -hmm. fear, love, gratitude. Mm -hmm. uh, so some are negative, some are positive. So uh, much of our meditation study at the monastery is based on assessing these powerful emotions yeah. because energy is energy in motion. Mm -hmm. So when you correlate the both, you, you have to synthesize the heart as part of decision-making as well. Yeah. If yeah. you're trying to motivate yourself from a state of depression, if you're only doing it through the clinical approach that everything is happening up here, you're neglecting a major part of intuitive experience, mm -hmm. which is the heart. And we know that a mother would use the experience of intuition more to deal with an anomaly with her child, something she doesn't understand what's going on, why the child is in this way, sick or something. She'll use intuition more than reason. Yeah. So, okay, we, we know that practicing this is actually very important. But do you have any practical ways on how our audience can actually implement this into their life? Yes. I'm all for being pragmatic because uh, that was the idea of uh, taking up to a practice, in, uh, uh, you know, in a serious way, like uh, the monastery. Yeah. So what would philosophy be without... Uh, and experience. Mm -hmm. So naturally, if we're assessing ourselves, one of the first things to understand is we got to know our mind. This is one of the first things they teach us in the monastery over this past 20, 25 years. Even up to now, we can never say we've mastered the mind, mm -hmm. but we can say we've made the mind our friend. So the first level of mastery or self-mastery is to understand that the mind is an independent uh, entity uh, to experience if it is not trained. It will act in its own way. It will give out thoughts and experiences and expressions in its own way. Why? Because we rooted still in the survival mechanism of the body. True. So the body is designed to survive, right? Mm -hmm. And everything about the body, the senses are all tuned in for survival and for generation. How to pass on my genes to the next generation and how to survive while doing that. This is the first level of identity, that of the body. But the mind is not naturally, it's not by nature in tune with that. It takes the experiences of what was good, the best choices that you've made, and it takes the experiences of the bad experiences that you've had. And it's constantly assessing to find homeostasis, to find balance. Now we see that with the body, right? Mm -hmm. The body works most optimally when it's in homeostasis. Biology tells us this, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, does that does don't we recognize that the mind also needs homeostasis or balance? Okay, so the first level is that you know this is what uh, this is what they teach us in the monasteries. You want to know? Yeah, sure. 
<laughs> yeah, this is what they teach us to to first understand and master your body, mm-hmm. and that is what yoga does. The exercises, mm-hmm. uh, the breathing, the correlation between breathing and exercise, the the uh, coherence between the the lungs, the breathing, and the heart. Mm-hmm. So once that physical uh, level of mastery is achieved to a certain degree then the next level of mastery is the software the mind mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. and once you've acknowledged that it's running a program but whose program is that it's what school education system has indoctrinated us to do mm-hmm. it's what the tertiary level has indoctrinated us to do mm-hmm. and much of that education it's education but it's based on more on skill set rather than understanding the process of life. I remember in school, maybe it's a little archaic right now, but uh, we had half an hour or 15 minutes before the lessons could start for right living. That was the life process education class in school. And the rest of the school syllabus was meant to train us how to become a worker. Mm-hmm. how to develop a skill set so that you can get a job and carry on with life mm-hmm. it never gave us the opportunity to think outside the box that's why it's so wonderful that a community and you know i'm commending what you do and what your listeners do to create platforms and forums mm-hmm. where people can talk like this where they can share and exchange like this because this is true education Thank you. This is education. What you learn in school is a skill set to become an engineer, to become a lawyer, to become a doctor. It's a skill set. And a skill set is not a process of life. It's one of the attributes that facilitate life. But it's not the process of life. And more so if monetary uh, gain is added to the philosophy that you'll, earn, you'll have a higher um, earnings, you'll have much more uh, remuneration from your skill set, then forget about the process of life. Even all your ethics will go outside the door. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, yes. I, I think with, with me, whilst growing up, we always saw people that we love go through so much of challenges, whether it may, it may be due to finances, but we never understood it because we thought that was the norm. And we wasn't even prepared for, for, this challenge, for these challenges when we became adults, because our, our families, our, our parents tried to protect us. They didn't want us to know what they were going through. But now that we're adults, and I actually, um, I actually wish that I was trained like that when I was little, so I would know what the future would be like. I mean, not like, I mean, we, none of us can plan for the future because when you're planning for the future okay yes we we do plan for the future we set goals and all of that but we cannot be living in the future we have to live in the present we have to be in the moment and we cannot live in the past either but i mean if if children are actually you know um trained a certain way when they are challenges say for instance a child falls the parents are there to actually you know comfort the child because they don't want anything to hurt anyone to hurt anything to hurt the child. But they don't realize when the child, um, the more the child falls, the more the child will learn and become stronger. So we can't really protect the child all the time. I, I think I actually heard this by another a teacher many years ago, um, or maybe I actually read a quote, I'm not quite sure. But I think it was a, a zebra or a... Oh, no, it was actually a giraffe. When the giraffe mother gives birth, as soon as the child actually, you know, is born, the mother kicks the child. And the child gets up and she kicks the child again, over and over again, because she wants the child to be strong. So when the other animals will come, you know, run for the child, come to eat the child or whatever, the child is strong enough and it can run and fend for himself. I like the points you mentioned about being mindful in the present. And I think uh, that's, uh, yeah, I'm just relating or correlating to the the name of your program, mindfulness, right? Trinity. Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, mindful 
is a sense of being in the present, but a little more than that is being in the present continuous. Yes. Because the idea of continuous, it's like an adverb. It kind of gives you the feeling of being a little bit more in the present and a little bit more in the past. Some, both these time dimensions can be related to in the present, continuous. Yeah. And, and you mentioned this about children, and it's mm-hmm. very, very apt mm-hmm. that a child actually unlearns this. It doesn't learn this because children by their nature, do you see how they can make a game out of anything? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Because they are in the present. Mm. A child is so happy when they, because they're experiencing in the present. When they're with their friends and they're playing, there's nothing there. They're making make-believe games. Yeah. But because they are so mindful, they are so present, they're experiencing and it's, it's natural. Mm-hmm. It's not something we have unlearned this. We have actually unlearned this as adults. Maybe children can teach us something, you know? True. Very true. <laughs> and that's why a child can be happy in any situation. If they're in the, with their friends, they can make a game out of anything. Mm. Why is that? Because by nature, we, we relate to that aspect of ourselves. But once we've become indoctrinated to think in a certain way, to relate and uh, be in a certain way, then that natural resonance is lost. Absolutely. We've lost it. Therefore, as part of the training that we go through in the monastery as well, is to become mindful. To mm-hmm. means to become familiar with. You can't, you can project in the mm-hmm. future and you can reminisce about the past, but you can only uh, meditate if you're in the present continuous. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So. Hey, beautiful people. I just wanted to take a pause and tell you a little bit about Mindful Trinity. Mindful Trinity is an independent yoga institution focusing on mental health, diet, and overall well-being for corporates and for women. But our content and our expertise is available for anyone and everyone that are willing to make a change. Mindful Trinity was founded in 2019 as anxiety, stress, depression, burnout, and suicide increased in society, Mindful Trinity saw the need to introduce a solution by bringing yoga and mindfulness to communities, schools, and corporates. We provide inspiration and expertise to support you in establishing your unique balance in health and wellness. We promote longevity energy and happiness in all facets of life and will support you in creating a healthy lifestyle that will encourage your fullest potential. Yeah. How long have you been practicing this holistic lifestyle? I know you said you've been 25 years in India, but... Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. You know, the curiosity for it has always been there, Mm -hmm. but I joined the practice in 95 and uh, one of the, and the inspiration I got came from yoga philosophy. And uh, it's interesting. I say this yoga philosophy because uh, yoga is a big thing in the world today, right? It's, it's done by everyone. And, and slowly, if you see, yoga philosophy is also becoming a little more, intra- people are starting to inquire a little more about it. The philosophy of yoga is important to have the mind-body connection. The yoga alone only gives you the body connection. But without the philosophy of the yoga, you don't have the mind connection. And if you don't have the mind-body connection, resting on the intuitive self, that is the complete picture. It must rest on the intuitive self. That means the knowledge, the experience that you're having 
must be connected to intuitive knowledge rather than just rational uh, logical knowledge, you know, which comes by intellection, yes. by logical reasoning. Mm -hmm. uh, so we depend a lot on that. Okay. Uh, and and we, the idea with motivation mm -hmm. or trying to assess clinical aspects of depression mm -hmm. is that we try to reason it. Mm -hmm. We try to find the solution in reasoning it. Maybe I'm not doing something right. Maybe I'm, you know, if I could do adjust my lifestyle a little bit or something like that. We never connected to intuition. Okay. And we never connected inward. Yeah. So what would you say? How has this practice helped you in your journey? Yes. So it's firstly given me an idea to understand myself at three different levels. Mindful Trinity, the level of the intuitive self, which is the foundation, the level of the mind, and then the level of the body. So, But like I'm saying, just reasoning doesn't work. And that's why motivation doesn't last. We need inspiration. Hmm? There's a difference between motivation and inspiration. So motivation is good for the moment. It's like the jet fuel. But to sustain it, you need to transform it, transform it into a lifestyle. That's why I was saying I would not necessarily call myself an, a monk. Because for me, it's a lifestyle now. Actually, this is one of the... Uh, hard questions of life that scientists are dealing with. What is consciousness? And yet, if you don't understand what is consciousness, how do you how do you how do you assess how to relate in the world? Because you are a conscious being. So, just I think let's give a little credit to religiosity and spirituality that they've tried to explain it, but they've brought in too much of ritual. And when you bring in too much of ritual, then you create a separate, you kind of move away from the process. And now you start following in uh, as a culture. Therefore you have so many, you know, we started speaking about ancient traditions. So there's so many ancient traditions, but if you look at their principles, they all are united. They are coherent in their principles. But if you look at their cultures, oh, you're going to find a lot of variegatedness. Sure. So this is the tendency of wanting to belong. So we want to belong with the same identity. Mm. Now, you must remember, as I initially started speaking about, that if we go down to the smaller scales from the body to the organs, to the cells, to the molecules, to the... Uh, atoms, and then right down, we're going down the scale, mm -hmm. then we're moving less away from physical. You agree with me? Yes, I do. Yes. But we're still existing. You mm -hmm. agree with that? Yeah, we are existing. <laughs> yes, because we're observing, right? Mm -hmm. We're observing that we're moving lower and lower down, yeah. uh, lower orders of magnitude. Mm -hmm. So as we're coming lower, there is one thing that's always there, and that's the observer. I'm able to exist, I'm able to observe, and that's because I'm conscious. Okay. So if we move away from physical reality just for a moment, mm -hmm. and that's meditation. Meditation gives us an opportunity to move away from the physical reality just for a moment. Okay. And Makes by sense. practicing Feeling what that is like in a natural way. Mm -hmm. Feeling that natural experience of that. Because we've lost contact with that. we got to literally think about it, resonate with it, and then get into it. But, but by nature, it, everybody has that inner connection. Yeah, that's so, so my suggestion is try to move away from the physical self a little bit. From the physical to the mental, try to connect with that intuitive self that I've been talking about. And, and just a little bit, just try to find that person there. Just try to find that entity that is who is observing, that is who is 
watching everything, who is computing everything, and mm -hmm. who's experiencing everything. Yeah, and the, I think where monks, you know, monks got a good reputation. <laughs> <laughs> and what That's is true. that? They, they're known as good-natured people. Mm. They're known as people who've controlled uh, aspects of their nature, like anger, like depression, mm. like, uh, you know, the, things that so-called ordinary people have difficulty with. It's a given. It's, it's expected that the monk has mastered those. But why has he done that? It's what you are seeing and experiencing as um, when you meet somebody like a monk mm -hmm. is the symptoms of where he's situated and what is his state? Okay. What is his inner state? Because if his inner state is connected at the right level, then it will become effervescent yeah. and it will come up higher, higher till it reaches molecules, atoms, higher, higher till it manifests at the physical level. Okay, does that make sense? it does, but now I'm just trying to understand. Yes, the monks of this lifestyle is actually quite easy because it's the way of life, it's your lifestyle now. Correct. But for the normal, the, the so to I mean, the normal person, like how you actually just mentioned, the person that's yes. going to work every day, nine to five job, and uh, whether it's even housewives, people that's actually at home, but they're not living in a monastery, how can they implement, implement this lifestyle? without actually moving very, into the temple? <laughs> very relevant question, yes. So this is the study I was talking about of Dr. Doe, Dr. Joe Dispenser. Mm -hmm. So he's shown that you don't have to be anything externally. You don't have to be that because it's an internal adjustment, right? Mm -hmm. It's not external. You know, I may have a shaved head, but hey, enlightenment. Mm -hmm. You know, the garb doesn't give me the experience. It facilitates it, but the work has to be done on the inside. Mm -hmm. So his studies have shown, and, and it's a very practical study, that anybody who learns, and this is the Institute of Heart Math, H-E-A-R-T-M-A-T-H, Heart Math Institute. So it's a scientific institute, and they show how, if you learn how to correlate your heart, the resonance from your intuitive self, Mm -hmm. your spiritual heart, if you learn the intuitive way of connecting that to the brain and that link that I was telling you about the 40,000 neurons in the heart and connecting that to the brain, if you learn how to do that, then you can achieve what a, a monk achieves as, an, uh, as enlightenment. Okay, but you I'll can achieve the same experience because all that, it's, all that is different is that he's putting in the work. Okay. But how can yes. they implement how this? I mean, how can they practice it? What practical yes. ways can they utilize? So firstly, remember that to control any aspect of the body, you got to connect to something that is conscious. So what in your experience of the body is conscious? There's two things. One is your breathing and the other is your heart your heartbeat, isn't it? Yeah. These two things signify vitality. If, if those two things are not there, then it's flatline. If you learn how to master your breathing, uh, we call this pranayama mm -hmm. or the breathing process. And this is what even the science is telling today. As I mentioned, the Heart Math Institute, they're showing the correlation between breathing and the heart resonance. And if you learn how to connect, the heart is an organ of feeling. So, the, and this is Dr. Emoto's study as well, that he found towards the end of his uh, presentation, he said that there are two things that change the constitution of water the most rapidly. And that is love and gratitude. Love and gratitude. These two energies change water almost instantly. And remember, the human body is 70 to 80% water. So if you want to change your state, if you are in a state of depression or you have a lot of mental anxiety, I can give you one quick trick that monks do. Okay. It's a little 
austere, but it does the trick. Okay. Immediately have a cold shower. Ooh. <laughs> I can already feel the cold. <laughs> you can already feel it. Well, you'll also already feel the difference. Yeah. Because it's a reset button for the body. What mm. happens when you go into cold water? Your breath changes. Mm -hmm. You take in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And immediately yeah. your breath changes. I know. I know. It's also the it does very good for the nerves, especially on the spine. Every the spine aspect does. of the body. Wow. Yeah. Very, but yeah. I'm bringing this point in to show you that mm. if you, if your heart and your breath and the brain, mm. those three things are in coherence, mm -hmm. then this unleashes the. Uh, the natural healing mechanism of the body. If you get cut, do you heal yourself? Who heals your body? Your body has an intelligence of how to heal itself. That's true. We've seen that practically. Yes, that's true. So that is healing on the outside that you're familiar with. Mm. What about healing on the inside? By correlating these three mm. of gratitude, of learning how to breathe in proper resonance of natural mm -hmm. coherence mm -hmm. and connecting the brain to an attitude of gratitude. That's so true. And this is a fundamental thing. Mm -hmm. These three things is my takeaway message for today. That if you can connect this and have an experience with that, mm -hmm. you are living the mental state of a monk. Okay. You are living in that state that we train years to experience because it takes a lot of uh, training to be able to uh, correlate that, especially coming out of the outside world. But what Dr. Joe is showing is that it's very pragmatic. It's so practical. The most powerful thing is the state of the heart, which is gratitude. And I just want to spend one minute on this. Why gratitude? Because to feel gratitude is a feeling that something good has been done to you. That's when you feel appreciation or gratitude, right? Very sure. Yes. So automatically you have received something first. Mm -hmm. You see, you're not empty anymore. Yeah, yeah. When you're in the space of depression, you empty. You have nothing to hold on to. Mm -hmm. When you're in a state of gratitude, you have something to hold on to. And when you receive something first, the natural human instinct is to also give. That's very true. Yeah, I think yeah, with me, I know I feel better when I'm giving. And I think um, that's actually one of the, that I think it is one of the lo six loving exchanges to give and to receive. It's balance, you know. Um, would you say that living um, an holistic lifestyle is an alternative form of healing and medicine. Oh, wow. You hit it on the head. <laughs> most certainly. Most certainly. Because unless you're holistic, like we were saying, if you're just living on the bodily level, then you're living in the this, in this survival mode. If you're just living in the mental level, then you're just mental energy. You're just using either jumping for hope in the future or for fear in the past. Yeah. And you're living in those two worlds. You're not experiencing the present continuous. Okay. So if you live holistically, starting from your intuitive self, mm -hmm. then you have a three system correlation, the Trinity that we spoke about. Mm -hmm. And it's a mindful Trinity. Yeah. It's something that you can only experience if you're in the present. Mm -hmm. Only if you're in the present, if you're mindful, can you correlate those three? Okay. Uh, and let, uh, of course, after you reach advanced stages of mastery, mm. it's second nature, but that's already a lifestyle. But where we are, we want uh, small, simple steps. Okay. Triple okay. X, small, yeah. simple steps. And the first thing to know is that unless I feel whole, mm. and unless I feel connected to natural energies, and that's why... Uh, the earth, you know, we know this. When we go on holidays, where do you go? You go to a, pay, a place where the ocean is there. You go to a place where you can go into the mountains. Nature. You go to a So that's a little proud of me there because uh, somebody has taught me this. So how can I call it mine? 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's good. I mean, all of us are learning and be teaching at the Definitely. same time. And, yeah. and this is the process of experiencing. It's through mm-hmm. learning. Yeah. So one of the qualities that distinguishes a monk is humility. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Is because he's seeing that I've learned so much from nature. I've learned so much from others. Mm-hmm. I've learned so much from my own practice. Mm-hmm. How can I be proud about anything? okay yes so learning the more you know automatically the more humble you become so very valid questions how does one uh, live one's lifestyle how can how does these things affect one's lifestyle Mm -hmm. so practically one of the things that i do immediately is the breathing exercise and this is very common also in the western world by a person called Wim Hof. He's called the Iceman, mm-hmm. who through breathing, he was able to stay underwater in frozen lakes and things like that. He's given a very wonderful practice of breathing. Okay. And it's something that, uh, although we have our own traditional breathing exercises, mm-hmm. but it's something I found to be very pragmatic, very powerful for my experience. So that's the first thing that I do is to resonate my breathing, to uh, uh, correlate it hmm, where there's coherence with nature, hmm, where I feel uh, at peace, where I feel rested, I feel calm, I'm relaxed. So take a look at that. Hmm? So that's the first one, is the experience, uh, is my breathing uh, practice. Uh, The second thing I... As, as part of my everyday practice is mindfulness. So to be mindful, because if I'm not mindful, then my energies get uh, into the different modes of nature that are prevalent through the day. So naturally, in, in the yoga philosophy, it describes three modes of nature that are prevalent throughout mm-hmm. the day. Goodness, passion, and ignorance. Mm -hmm. Now, you can't always be in passion because it it takes a lot of energy to be there. Mm -hmm. And you can't always be in goodness, although you'd like to, because other other modes also become dominant. Mm -hmm. And you can't always be in ignorance because you'll, you'll never get up from sleep. The balance of the three modes. So I'm very mindful of my energies. And as part of the lifestyle and the culture that I live, I have to be very acutely mindful of my energies because just a moment of inattention and it can easily slip into another mode or slip into a past uh, nostalgia. Uh, You know, it's not always serendipity, you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those things happen where you have a good experience, but it's also the reminiscing of the past Mm -hmm. that comes up very strongly. So you have to be mindful and immediately bring yourself into the present. So second practice I do is mindfulness. And uh, a third practice is one of um, assessment. Uh, Let me call it assessment, where I'm uh, focusing my energy into the heart center, which is in the middle of your chest. And when you focus your energy there, then you are tapping into the source center that animates this whole body. So everything about this body is coming from that one point. And everything that is functioning of this body is coming from that one point. So if you can tap into that and uh, develop coherence with that and learn to synergize that with your breathing and uh, your brain function, you are living in a, in a really good state of balance. So three things I've shared with you that you can do is to give a little time into the physical practice of yoga to keep the body in tune, and then a little yoga philosophy to keep the mind in tune, and then correlate that with, uh, you know, we were speaking about pranayama and energy, but in, in, in the human state, we assimilate energy from, we get nourishment from food. Food in itself has to be ingested and digested in order to release energy. 
So it's quite a process that the body goes through. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's quite an intense process. Uh, and beyond that, if the food quality is not good, then you're not guaranteed a higher output of energy. So therefore diet is very important. The food that you eat uh, in the Vedic, uh, in the yoga tradition, it's called prana, prana. Mm? And the process uh, prana is the, uh, is the energy force, the vitality. It's the vitality that is latent within food that is ingested. And accordingly, it will release certain amounts of energy. So the correlation of all of that is very important. If you can assess those things, mm -hmm. if you can give that a bit of thought and develop it as a process, mm -hmm. then you'll be experiencing life in a very different way. Okay, I like because that. Now, because now you're in the present. Mm -hmm. And it, it takes quite a lot to keep yourself in the present. You know, that's why monks meditate, because it's the process to keep you in the present. And when they are in tune with that, then they can master that to the point mm -hmm. where they can relate and still be in the present. Yeah. Because the, the, the way the mind is tuned, it's always anticipating the future mm -hmm. and reminiscing about the past. Okay. So if you're living in either of those two worlds, you're missing the present. True. And it's, it's so significant. It's so significant that even when you're looking at something, you're looking with those eyes that on the landscape of life, you're looking, if you are in tune with money, you're mm -hmm. going to see what can produce money out there. Sure. You're looking with that eye mm -hmm. and you're going to miss the rest of reality, which means mm -hmm. the, the rest of life as a process. Mm -hmm. So yeah, sure. when you tune your mind because of monetary remuneration, to only look for these things, which are like hotspots, then you're gonna miss a major part of the painting or the landscape of life mm -hmm. as it's been given to you as a gift. What are one or two um, pivotal moments that have shaped you thus far? Hmm. I think one of the things that I've learned from the monastery also is that to expand the idea of gratitude uh, to become a spiritual cosmonaut. <laughs> to expand your consciousness greater than myself, because usually if I'm just focused my consciousness on myself, I develop more of a narcissistic, uh, you know, narcissism yeah. rather than uh, an idea of uh, harmony or coherence or community. So to, when, I, when, when I expand my consciousness further than just my physical self to community and then to uh, becoming an earthling on this planet, you know, that global consciousness. And then the yoga philosophy teaches you cosmic consciousness where you are, because we are correlated to the bodies that are there in the, in the universe. You know, the moon has a direct effect on us. The sun has a direct effect on us. And the scientific studies shown that explosions or flares on the sun affect human consciousness here on the earth. Wow. Yes. And, and of course, we know how the moon affects us, right? Oh, yes. Uh, on a full moon day, you get people becoming lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> yes. So these bodies have an influence on us. Mm. So as, as, a, as, as a living being, my experience is not, I, I've restricted myself only to the human being, not to a living being. You know, and the, the, the more I can expand myself out of that uh, closet of just being only a human being, because what it means to be human today comes with a lot of connotations, which are not so good. You know, nobody, if you ask any species, don't wait for their reply. <laughs> yeah, we don't have such a good for the other earthlings on this planet. You know, we have a higher level of responsibility.
So my experience uh, or, you know, some of the profound moments would have been when in discussions like this, when the penny drops, when somebody catches on to one of the ideas that we share, and, and you've done that, I don't know, so many times just in this one podcast where things like say, oh, that's good. It makes sense. I resonate with that. And why is that so? Because we speak in the language of the heart. In the yogic philosophy, we are even grateful for the uh, bacteria in the stomach. Because if it wasn't for those guys, my food wouldn't be digested. We're even grateful for the bees, because if it wasn't for those guys, the plants wouldn't be pollinated. You won't get any food. Even grateful for the trees, because if it wasn't for those guys, what is the value of my lungs if they don't give out oxygen? You're living now as, as, as the philosophy of yoga is teaching or as a yogi, you're living a very expansive very, uh, from, from your inner core, you're expanding your consciousness so high and so profound that the frequency of that is, has, is, is having an effect in the world and in the community. And it's, and, and it's a positive effect because it's inspiring. It's giving positive energy and it's resonating with the earth's frequency. And yet it's not something that you you know, aiming for, it's just a symptom of being in coherence, to be coherent with nature, to be natural, to be connected from heart, mind, and body. Does that make sense? It's absolutely wonderful. Everything. I mean, I'm just so grateful to you. Like you mentioned, you are so grateful for all these things that nature actually has to offer, offer us. I think um, just like you, I'm also grateful for all of these wonderful things. And I'm also very grateful for you coming onto this platform to share all of your knowledge and your insights with us. And you have a wealth of knowledge. And yeah, it was just so amazing for me that one hour, but I think we actually went over that one hour. <laughs> wow. Yeah. When you're having fun, time flies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what when advice do you have uh, or you, can you give my audience my listeners because now we're actually on YouTube and on the different podcast channels. Yes. Well, I wouldn't like to advise, but I'd like to share. Okay. And firstly, I, I'm also very honored and with deep humility, I'm grateful for all those who have uh, shared their knowledge and wisdom with me. You know, this is a, this is a sign of what I'd like to call altruism, to be altruistic, to reach out to people in a sense of well-being. So usually altruism is described as philanthropy or trying to reach out in terms of food and clothing to people. But what about well-being? So I do, my, my connection is spiritual or uh, altruism from the level of intuitive self that I feel by me being the best that I can be, then I resonate or I emit a certain frequency out to the universe. And people out there, there's somebody out there who's waiting for that kind of frequency. And there are many out there. That's why we have a whole fellowship now. And we, we have a whole family now, right? I'm sure all your listeners are like your family. And that is what, I'm, and that's coherence for me. That's where the hearts are connecting beyond any other limitation. Every other aspect of our body, our mind are all limited. But at the level of intuition, at the level of who we are, the soul, there's no limitation there. We are unlimited at that platform. So when we connect at that platform, we can also resonate and generate a very powerful frequency out to the world. And that frequency creates harmony. It creates all the goodness that we want to experience as human beings. So in that way, we are reaching out to even people that we may not know by name, but we connect with by heart. So for me, that's very profound. And 
I'd like to encourage your listeners also, because I'm sure on, on, the, on the platforms that they have, they are also uh, leaders or martyrs mm-hmm. of uh, ancient wisdom. Mm-hmm. They are also carriers of uh, wisdom and knowledge that they can share with us. And when the idea of sharing comes along, mm-hmm. when we develop the consciousness of sharing, of giving, then we get more. And I think that's something that you described. Mm-hmm. So when we feel gratitude more, and that's one of the most powerful energies you can connect to. Dr. Emoto said that in his findings, he described love and gratitude change water the quickest. Mm-hmm. So if you can develop these two things as a takeaway for today's podcast uh, and just uh, just resonate with it, just contemplate it, keep Keep it in the mind, think about it, and then apply it to your intuitive self. Mm-hmm. That Because when you feel gratitude, you can't feel, you feel whole. There's wholesomeness. There's no lacking. Sure. You cannot lack if you feel gratitude because already I'm thankful. That means I've received something already. Absolutely. So you have a stronger platform on which to build alternative dimensions of your current reality. Mm-hmm. of which you only seeing yourself as physical right now. So the less we become physical and the more we can become intuitive mm-hmm. to our own self, this is nothing supernatural. It's lower orders of magnitude that we were discussing. The more you can become in tune with that, the more you understand yourself and your true nature. And once that clicks, you can connect to the whole world and resonate with the whole world in the way you want to experience it, in the way you want to do it with love, joy, gratitude, all these wonderful qualities that everybody wants to feel. Mm -hmm. And the greatest result of that is that you will feel fulfilled. You will become satisfied. Wow. I don't have any words. I think you actually took all of my words. I'm feeling so much of, of gratitude for you. I'm, I'm absolutely grateful for everything that you, everything that, that, you, that actually came out of your mouth this, um, this morning. Um, it was just flowing with, how could I say, nectar, because nectar, nectar is actually absolutely beautiful and you want more of it. And I wish we actually had more time to do more of that because it was so knowledgeable for me and to implement it into my own lifestyle and my audience, I'm sure they're also looking forward to implement it and try this out. Um, everything was just so amazing for me. I'm feeling so much of love, so much of gratitude for you. I'm, yeah, I'm actually rambling here because that's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling so much of gratitude and thank you so much for coming on here and sharing all of that with all of us. It was an absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. I would just like to end by saying, uh, if you'll accept my humble blessings, but not that I can bless, but Mm -hmm. my sentiment of goodwill and love and and care and gratitude to all your listeners and the whole community, the whole family out there that you're Mm -hmm. building. Well done to you and keep it up. Thank you. Thank you so much. So to our listeners and to our viewers, thank you so much for listening in today. And if, you, if, this, if this podcast resonated with you, please do subscribe and share it with all like-minded people. Like Rateen Krishna Das mentioned, we're building a community, building a family. And with family, we actually have a strong support structure and we can conquer the world. We start with ourselves first and that's what we're doing. Yes, and please share it and invite all of them to actually be part of this family. Thank you once again, and I will see you on the next podcast. Bye-bye.